Welcome, everyone. This is the second part to my interview with Professor Elsner. If you guys have not listened to the first part, make sure you go and do that because it's just as interesting as this one. I hope everyone has a great time listening, and let's get right into it. Yeah, and I know you mentioned uh, eye tracking and kind of visual processing in relation to language. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, so I mean, you know, we live in a in a visible world. Those of us who aren't blind, anyway, um, and we like talking about abstractions, but we also like talking about the world, right? Because it's where all our stuff is. Um, and so, I mean, we describe things, we give directions, we refer to things that are visible, we make plans to use these things. Uh, and language is integrated into all of these processes. Like, can you imagine telling someone uh, or trying to communicate to someone about, say, how to get to the grocery store, or how to put together an uh, IKEA table or something. If you weren't allowed to use uh, language, you could, you could do it, but it wouldn't be normal. Um, so language gives us uh, visually oriented tools to, uh, to, to do all of these things that we do all the time. Um, and so we can use vision to learn about language, right? We put people into the eye tracker, we do experiments, and we... Um, use the connection between language and vision to tell what they're thinking. And we can uh, also use uh, language to try to understand about vision, um, to try to understand how the, uh, how the visual system kind of interrelates to the rest of the brain. Yeah, and I know in the past you've talked a lot about visual salience. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, so salience uh, means in general how apparent something is on its own in a, in a kind of context-independent sense. Visual salience tends to mean things that are big, bright, moving, or colorful, um, that kind of stuff. Um, things that contrast well with the background on which they're set. If you walked into a room and something visually salient was in there, you would probably notice it first, uh, regardless of what you happened to be going in there for. So that's the concept. And how does that kind of play into language, if it does at all? And is there any like studies you've done in the past surrounding that? Yes. Yeah, so in terms of direction giving, we did some studies with uh, the Where's Waldo picture book or, or Where's Wally, uh, if you come from the UK, which my collaborators did. Um, and we looked at how people uh, pointed out uh, the locations of different people in those scenes. Um, now, Waldo himself is very recognizable once you've seen him, but he's not particularly visually salient in most of these scenes, which is why the book is fun, right? Um, if, you know, each page was just like a picture of Waldo on a blank white page or something, you'd be like, well, there he is, uh, and then you'd throw the book away. Um, so, Mostly people who are telling you how to find Waldo will not just tell you what he looks like, which is useless, uh, but they'll um, use landmarks that are much easier to see. Uh, they'll point to a building that takes up a whole quarter of a page or someone who's wearing a particularly colorful dress or, you know, uh, something splashy like a, a, a tent on a beach that's covered in red and white stripes or something. And then they'll tell you from there how to kind of dial in closer and closer to where Waldo is until you eventually get to him. Um, so we can see there that people know that visually salient things are kind of obvious. Uh, and um, 
either because it's more helpful for them or it's bec or because it's more helpful for their listener, they're going to use these things in their descriptions. And are there ways that visually salient things play into our daily lives? Like, um, I'm not sure of an example off the top of my head, but let's say, I don't know, you walked in a coffee shop and it was, there was like some very obvious like structures Would that impact the way people like see the coffee shop. I mean, good, uh, good user interface design, good kind of sign design, um, good advertisements, uh, play off, off this idea of visual salience all the time. They have to, um, there's a reason that stop signs are bright red octagons. If we lived in a world where the visual system perceived everything instantaneously and didn't have to choose where to expend its, uh, its attention uh, on the world around us, stop signs could just as well be kind of camo patterned. But, you know, only an idiot would actually design a stop sign like that because uh, in real life people have to see the thing when they're distracted uh, so that they stop and they have to see it fast. Um, and right, you know, you, you can connect that to all sorts of other things. Uh, what color or shape or position should the button that you have to press to save your work in a uh, computer application be? Well, let's make it shinier when you haven't saved for a while so that you remember to press it. Uh, what, you know, when you walk into the coffee shop, uh, is the regular menu, should the regular menu be brighter or darker than the special of the day? Well, let's make the special of the day really contrastive so that we can get you to buy like whatever $5 latte we're making, uh, this morning. Right. I mean, in some sense, a designer knows a lot more in a kind of functional sense about how to make visual salience than a lot of psychologists do. Um, but, um, but the concept is the same. So I noticed you've used the term Gricean process before. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? Uh, so the, this is named after a person, uh, Paul Grice, who's a British uh, linguist and philosopher. Um, he was one of the first people to try and write about how people uh, infer uh, unstated meaning from uh, what is said. So... This is the, the area of linguistic pragmatics, by the way, that's the, the word for it. Um, so if, for instance, uh, you say something like, it's chilly in here, uh, isn't it? And uh, the person you're talking to gets up and turns on the heat. Um, you didn't tell them to turn on the heat. You didn't even tell them that you wanted them to turn on the heat. Uh, but they have concluded that you're not just making observations about the temperature because you like communicating random facts about the world. Um, you're trying to do something with language. And that's pretty normal, right? Um, people, you could, if you liked communicating random facts about the world, go up to people and tell them, say, two plus two equals four, or the sun is a star or something. Uh, but mostly we talk about... Um, we talk about things that we're interested in uh, and often about things that we desire or questions that we want to answer or something. And Grice pointed out that people tend to take your utterances as being relevant to this kind of situation uh, and try to infer from it what you meant. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And so 
I think that kind of connecting with the like speaking aspect and visual aspect, I know you had a project before on kind of like describing uh, visual appearances and scenes with a, a black spire. Um, could you share some of the, like the learning you had from that and the exploration in that area? Well, so, I mean, people have been thinking for quite a while about how uh, Grace interacts with these descriptions. One of the kind of things that you find is that um, if someone gives a description with a lot of adjectives, they mention the color of something, say black spire or the uh, size of something, big cup or something like that, um, they're putting in extra words and they tend to have a purpose for these words, right? Um, Although sometimes you might say black spire just as an aesthetic kind of description. If you're giving directions and there's only one spire, it's kind of wasted effort. Uh, and Grice says that people don't tend to waste words that way. Um, so often what you can conclude is that the speaker can see more than one spire, right? Um, if the speaker says big cup, you tend to uh, assume that there's a little cup somewhere. And this interacts with what I was saying about visual salience. Um, it turns out, for instance, that if there's a little cup kind of hidden away somewhere uh, and it's very difficult to see, um, you're less likely to get the adjective again. So it's kind of an interaction between what the speaker can see uh, and potentially what the speaker thinks the listener can see, although the evidence for that is much more mixed, uh, and, and therefore what words they think they need to use in order to be uh, unambiguous enough that you'll understand them. Yeah, and kind of transitioning a tiny bit, how does language impact the viewer's gaze? So it's well known that people look to what they hear about. Uh, a big name here is Mike Tannenhaus, uh, although uh, I could reel off uh, names of people who've done key studies here probably for a quarter of an hour if I could remember them all. Zenzi Griffin is another one. Um, in fact, people often look to what they hear about before they hear about it, so to speak. Uh, as I said before, a proficient language user is doing a lot of prediction. Um, they use a lot of information about what you're saying, uh, what seems like it's syntactically coming up, uh, or are you going to say a noun or a verb based on the grammar, um, what they think is semantically coming up. Uh, so uh, when you say something like, uh, the little girl is going to drink the, the next word is probably less likely to be beer, for instance. That was one classic study that someone did, um, even though that's grammatical. Um, so there are a lot of kinds of prediction going on, and uh, people will uh, follow to what you're mentioning with uh, their eyes, or they will look ahead to what you're going to mention with their, eye, with, with their eyes. And like I said, this is this makes sense because often we use language as a tool for interacting with a uh, visual world that we live in. And you're going to need to look at anything that you really want to interact with or observe. This is the main way you take in information about that world. Um, and so you, you steer your eye gaze around. If you were, say, collaboratively putting together a piece of furniture, right, and someone says, pick up the um, and you look towards the wrench, well, I mean, this is going to be useful because in a minute you're going to need to steer your hand to it, pick it up firmly, and then um, you should already be looking back towards where you need to take your hand in the wrench to screw the, uh, to screw the bolts together or whatever. 
Yeah, that makes complete sense. And it's it's cool to see the the visual and cognitive reasons behind that. Is there anything else you'd like to add regarding either child language acquisition or uh, visual salience or just kind of visual aspects of linguistics? I can't think of anything brilliant off the bat. Um, do you have any other questions about any of this? Um, I don't think so. I'm just, uh, I was just very interested in like the work you were doing. Um, so I think I got uh, most of what I came for answered. So, yeah. Well, I guess if, if you're going to put it that way, I will add one more thing, which uh, I've tried to kind of, without being one of those professors who has a million footnotes every time a word comes out of his mouth, um, give some credit where it's due to all the other amazing people who are doing work in these areas. Uh, but obviously science is kind of a, a huge group project and um, we're all standing on the shoulders of, of giants, which these fields have seen uh, their share of uh, really giant figures and also a lot of kind of good solid teamwork. So I'm really grateful to everyone whose research I stole uncredited uh, in these answers. And I appreciate you answering all the questions. I learned a lot as well. So um, thank you so much for doing this. Well, thank you for having me. So this concludes part two to the podcast. I hope everyone had a great time listening. And I really want to thank Professor Elsner for doing this with me. I learned a lot and I hope you all did too. Thank you so much. And I hope everyone has a wonderful day. Goodbye.